Now, brothers, I want to clarify for you the gospel I proclaim to you. You received it and have taken your stand on it. You are also saved by it if you hold on to the message I proclaim to you, unless you believe for no purpose. For I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to over 500 brothers at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one abnormally born, he also appeared to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by God's grace, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not ineffective. However, I worked more than any of them, yet not I, but God's grace that was with me. Therefore, whether it is I or they, so we proclaim, and so you have believed. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say, there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is without foundation, and so is your faith. In addition, we are found to be false witnesses about God, because we have testified about God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Therefore, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. If we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ, the firstfruits. Afterward, at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, and when he abolishes all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be abolished is death. For God has put everything under his feet. But when it says everything is put under him, it is obvious that he who puts everything under him is the exception. And when everything is subject to Christ, then the Son himself will also be subject to the one who subjected everything to him, so that God may be all in all. Otherwise, what will they do who are being baptized for the otherwise what will they do who are being baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, then why are people baptized for them? Why are we in danger every hour? I affirm by the pride in you that I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. 
If I fought wild animals in Ephesus with only human hope, what good did that do me? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Come to your senses and stop sinning, for some people are ignorant about God. I say this to your shame. But someone will say, how are the dead raised? What kind of body will they have when they come? Foolish one, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And as for what you sow, you are not sowing the future body, but only a seed, perhaps of wheat or another grain. But God gives it a body as he wants, and to each of the seeds its own body. Not all flesh is the same flesh. There is one flesh for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is different from that of the earthly ones. There is a splendor of the sun, another of the moon, and another of the stars. For one star differs from another star in splendor. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. Sown in corruption, raised in incorruption, sown in dishonor, raised in glory, sown in weakness, raised in power, sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth and made of dust. The second man is from heaven. Like the man made of dust, so are those who are made of dust. Like the heavenly man, so are those who are heavenly. And just as we have borne the image of the man made of dust, we will also bear the image of the heavenly man. Brothers, I tell you this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, and corruption cannot inherit incorruption. Listen, I'm telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the blink of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the last trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we will be changed. For this corruptible must be clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal must be clothed with immortality. When this corruptible is clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Now the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. This is the word of the Lord. Absolutely epic chapter with some fantastic truths. And so I'm going to ask God to help us as we look at his word together. Our Father, we thank you so much that we can be in a place where we're warm and together and we have the truths of your word here tonight. 
Father, help us to hear what you have to say to us. Help me to be clear and speak in a way that honours you, that we might embrace the truth of the resurrection for ourselves. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Somewhere in the United States, uh, there is a fridge with Walt Disney's name on it. Now, his name isn't on it because he owns the fridge. His name is on it because he's in the fridge. And you might have heard about this. Uh, Walt Disney invested in cryogenics, a huge growth industry in the United States, in the hope that one day they'd find a cure for the cancer that he died of, bring him back to life, cure him of that, and he could live forever. Uh, There's one person who reflects, I think, what is a little bit of an obsession in our culture, in our world, uh, that is we want to live forever. Uh, Actually, it's a bit more sort of nuanced than that, isn't it? It, It's probably not living forever and becoming old, but actually probably living forever uh, young. So we do all sorts of things to keep ourselves young uh, that we might live forever young. We might not go as far as investing in cryogenics when it gets to the point, but certainly that's on our mind. It's probably obvious why, isn't it? It's probably very obvious why. And that is because of the reality of death. Who wants to look death in the face? No one wants eye contact with death. And in fact, you're probably thinking, you know, this guy is he's sort of socially inept, out of touch. We're here celebrating this morning uh, the life that we've been given by God in multiple ways, as we've heard. But as we talk about life, uh, we're confronted by death. And so, yes, I, Walt Disney hasn't got it right. You can't live forever by investing in cryogenics. But what we heard read from 1 Corinthians 15... You would have heard the dominating thought and theme in that passage was that of the resurrection. Not only the resurrection of Jesus, but the potential for resurrection for us. And so there is an answer. There is a solution to life in the face of death so that we can live forever. And so what I want us to see this morning, just very briefly from this passage, is that the resurrection guarantees the gospel that we claim to be good news, and so means we can live forever. The resurrection guarantees the gospel, so it's good news, and actually means we can live forever. So let's jump into 1 Corinthians 15. If you've got your Bibles, you might want to follow along as I dip into some of the truths that we find here about the resurrection. But firstly, the resurrection is essential to the gospel. Uh, verse 1 of chapter 15. Now, brothers, I want to clarify for you the gospel. Proclaimed to you, you received it, and have taken your stand on it. You're also saved by it if you hold on to the message I proclaim to you, unless you believe for no purpose. For I passed on to you as most important what I also received. We don't learn a lot about the content of the gospel here that Paul's talking about. A gospel just simply means good news. But he says a lot of things about it. 
Uh, you can pass it on. It's to be proclaimed. Uh, you can receive it. You can stand on it. And in fact, you can be saved by it. But I think the thing I want us to notice at this point is that Paul says this good news, this message, is the most important or of first importance. Now, I'm not sure what you would say if I was to ask you what's the most important thing in your life right now. What would you say? Paul says the most important thing is this message that he's talking about. So let's go and have a think about what is the content of the message. Verse 3, for I passed it on to you as most important what I also received. And here's the content of this good news, that Christ died for sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared. Now, if you want a real summary of the summary, because there's a summary of the, the good news, the message of Christianity that we claim to be true uh, because of what the Bible says, the summary of the summary is just in those words, Christ died for sins. Uh, that is the summary of the Christian message. And I'm sorry if you've got the perception that the Christian message is firstly about that God wants something from you. Because clearly here, it says the opposite to that, doesn't it? The primary message of the Bible, Christianity, and so it's good news, is that God wants something for you. Because it says there, doesn't it? Christ died for sins, and that is us as sinners. Christ died for sins. If you go away with anything clear this morning about the message of the Bible and Christianity... Please go away clear that it's about what God has done for you. That you might be in relationship with him. That he wants something firstly for you. And so he gave his son for you. But the message goes on, doesn't it? To guarantee that, what's essential to that work of his death being effective for us because it'd be all you know, futile, as we'll see, if he claimed to die and claimed that through that we could be forgiven by God, if then the, the next claim he made, that was that he would rise, all those things he couldn't rely upon if he didn't rise from the dead. So Paul goes on to say that he did rise. And in fact, he guarantees that by the fact he says he appeared. Verse 5, and that he appeared to Cephas, to the 12, then he appeared to 500 brothers at one time. Most of them are still alive, so look, go and track them down, find out what they saw, if you don't believe me from, for yourself. Verse 7, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Now, the three people particularly mentioned, uh, just as kind of as we go through this, Cephas, uh, Jesus' best mate, James, his brother, Paul, his enemy. Now, what would it take to convince your best mate, your brother, and your enemy that you are who you claim to be, you'd have to appear, wouldn't you, back from the dead. And so Jesus did it. It was a guarantee to them. And he appeared more to just them, but to 500 people or men, which is not including women. And so it's verifiable, the resurrection of Jesus. It's as though Paul nearly assumes it, though, because he quickly moves on. He just wants to clarify, make that clear, that his 
the gospel, it's good news, it's guaranteed by the resurrection, and so the resurrection is essential to that good news. I'm not sure uh, as you come to hear about the resurrection where you've got someone who's, you know, you might have, not have your arms sort of folded on the outside, but you might have your arms folded on the inside and not just a sceptic, but, you know, just object to it being kind of fanciful. Is that true? And what I wanted to challenge you this morning just on this point is to, to consider the resurrection. That, that in spite of the fact that you might know Christians and you think they're hypocrites or you, you might have been to church and you grew tired of it or you think it didn't work, uh, you might have objections because you've got lots of questions. I'd like to just challenge you that in spite of all those things, that you actually might consider the resurrection for yourself. You might not have considered it for a long time, not even maybe as an adult. But it's actually not a take or leave it fact of history. It's a reality that's verifiable. Take up the Gospels, read the accounts of the resurrection of Jesus. You could come and borrow this book, which is called The Case for Christ, a thorough investigation of the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. But the, the resurrection is essential to the Gospel, the good news that we claim to be true. Uh, next, I want us to see that the resurrection guarantees that this gospel is actually good news. Look at verse 13 with me. But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. So it's a whole bunch of, you know, kind of the negative realities if Jesus hasn't been raised. And Paul actually outlines seven consequences if Jesus hasn't risen from the dead. We'll just go through them quickly. The first one I've said, if there's no resurrection from the dead, of course, Christ has not been raised, firstly. The proclamation of that good news is without foundation. There's no basis for the, for the message. And so there's no basis for your faith, number three. Uh, the apostles are false witnesses. The, you know, they're liars saying something that is actually not true. Number five, you're still in your sins. Six, those who have already died have perished and have a life without God. And number seven, Christians are to be pitied. Those poor Christians living life based on something that's actually not true. Seven essential consequences if Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead, if he hasn't come back, if he hasn't matched his words with his actions, but he has. Seven essentials of the gospel that would be absolutely jettisoned if it doesn't rise from the dead you know that phrase um over promising and under delivering i was talking to a mate yesterday in line as we were lining up to to vote and he was talking about how this week he's going to go while watching that's always a risky thing isn't it to invest in something like that that depends on nature, that might appear and might not appear at the right time. And so you go while watching, and there's a big promise that you'll see whales. And he said the people assure them that there's 95% chance that you'll see whales. And if you don't, you get a free trip. So that's pretty good, isn't it? That's not really an over-promise and under-deliver, because if you don't see them this time, you'll see them next time. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, that'd be an over-promise and a real big underdeliver. But the fact is, he did rise from the dead. 
It's the biggest of promises. And he does and will make a great delivery. We'll see in a moment. The resurrection is the decisive demonstration that Jesus' death and all he claimed to be true was actually true and not in vain. So lastly, the resurrection means we can live forever. We have that as an option because Jesus rose from the dead. Look at verse 20 with me. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Great news. The news that Christians claim to be true is true because Jesus verified it by rising from the dead. And Paul goes on to try and explain what this will mean for us by using the idea of the first fruits, uh, that when there's a harvest, a first fruit is brought, which is the promise of more fruit to come. And whenever I think of that, I have to think of my grandma. When I grew up, uh, she had a property which out the back was a massive apricot orchard. And so we would go on summer holidays with her and her, my pa every, every Christmas, summer holidays. And so when we turned up, they would have boxes of boxes of apricots and they would just be basically nearly stuffing them into us. We're gorging ourselves on fresh apricots, which I think they are amazing. But for me, they were the promise of something I really loved even more. And that was my ma's homemade apricot jam. Wow. The apricots were fantastic, but for me, they were just the first fruits. They were the promise that the apricot jam would appear and I could just lather it on my toast every morning, week after week in the school holidays. Of course, a much greater way. Jesus is the promise of something that's yet to come. And what is it that's yet to come? By faith and trust in him, his death and his resurrection, he promises that one day we will be raised up. That's what it guarantees. We will be raised up. We can live forever. That's what it means for us. Paul goes on to say there's a process that has to happen that we won't go through now. But what it ultimately means is that Jesus has risen. He's now ruling and there'll be a process in which everything will be subject to his rule. Now, or at some point, whether you like it or not. But let's not be fooled. Jesus is risen and he's reigning and ruling. And it's so easy to forget that. And one day he will defeat our finally enemy, which is death itself. And so you see at the, near the end of the chapter there, he talks about uh, verse 55. It's, it's like this sing that song that he kind of bursts forth in, where he says, death, where's your victory? Death, where's your sting? It, it's a mockery of death itself. It's like when you're a kid and you beat your friends or you're hiding away from your friends and you sing that song. No, 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 you can't get me. You might not have been as childish as I was. But that's what Paul's saying to death. You've got nothing anymore. That's where we'll be when Jesus finally defeats our final 
enemy, which is death itself. We can stare it in the face because we know Jesus has risen from the dead. He would have defeated Satan, sickness, disease, and death so that we can live forever. I've recently moved down from the Sunshine Coast um, and so moving down, I had to find a new specialist uh, for the disease that I have so he could keep managing me. And so I went to my new specialist, a rheumatologist, for the first time this week on Monday. And I thought it was going to be kind of routine because my specialist on the coast had told me that the disease I've got is in remission. And so I was trusting his word. And in fact, basing my life upon the word of that doctor. Now, when I turned up to this new specialist, um, went through all the preliminary discussions, and then he started doing a series of tests on my body to see how I was actually going, to see whether that word was a right word. Um, And sort of regretfully, but maybe thankfully, he discovered that actually, no, I'm probably not in remission. That I've been um, kind of bearing with a level of uh, debility and discomfort, or pain you might call it, thinking that, okay, that's as good as it's going to get. And actually, it doesn't have to be like that. The doctor said, actually, I wouldn't be satisfied with what's going on in your body, uh, we need, and we can do something about that. Up your medication, and you should improve. You think, Wow. How foolish I was to entrust myself uh, to a doctor to think his word was the final word. I mean, that's what you're meant to do, isn't it? And thankfully, I've got some good news that I might make some progress. But it's foolish to think that you can entrust yourself to anyone, even if they are an apparent expert. There's only one person that you really should entrust yourself to, and that's Jesus himself. The expert on life and even on death. You can truly entrust yourself to him and know the promise that he says, you can come with me and be with me forever in heaven. And Paul says, and he goes on from verse 35 to talk about what life will be like. Uh, We will have a body. Verse 35, but someone will say, how are the dead raised? What kind of body will they have when they come? Verse 42, he says, so it is with the resurrection of the dead, sown in corruption, raised in incorruption, sown in dishonor, raised in glory, sown in weakness, raised in power, sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body. Uh, And in the argument, if you were to go back and read through it, it's clear that we won't be kind of spiritual, maybe ghosts floating in the shadowy kind of world. But there's a, there's a continuity or there's something the same, but then something different about us as we live with Jesus forever after we've ra- been raised up. There'll be a continuity in our, our identity, in actually who we are. Uh, but there's a difference because you can't take this decaying old body into a place of perfection 
yes, I can keep popping pills and it might make me feel internally better, but then I'll, I'll need a, a new body. And don't take spiritual as meaning not physical, but spiritual in terms of being free from all the effects of sin. Free from those so you can be present, rejoicing with Jesus forever. He uses the idea of being clothed in verse 53. For this corruptible must be clothed with incorruptibility. And this mortal must be clothed with immortality. When this corruptible is clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. What a great promise. And he says that will happen in a moment when we're raised up like the blinking of an eye. I just saw many of you blink. It was very quick. Uh, as kids growing up, we used to go to our friend's place uh, every Sunday night. We'd stay so late that we were so young, we'd fall asleep there. And so, of course, my dad used to carry the three of us, I had two sisters, uh, into the car. We'd sleep in the car and then he'd carry us from the car into our beds. I was a great foxer, so sometimes I'd wake up and pretend to be asleep so I wouldn't have to walk inside. I remember the, the times when he'd try and be all three of us together. He'd carry it once. But then... Often you wouldn't wake up. And the next time you woke up, you're in bed in your pyjamas. You think, how did that happen? Someone has done something for you. And it was like in a moment that happened, unaware of it. So it will be with our resurrection. We won't contribute anything to that. We'll be dead. But again, it's all by God's work for us. And in a moment, he'll transform us. The change matic will be eternally at work. So we'll be alive with Jesus forever. What's the right response? Because this is not a take-it-or-leave-it reality. It's not a take-it-or-leave-it fact of history. If it's true, it demands a response. And if you're accepting it to be true, the only right response is the response of verse 57. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, thank you, thank you. There's nothing more and better that we could be thankful for. It's the most important news because it's true. Jesus has risen from the dead and gives us the promise that we can rise with him one day. A throw off what all it means to live this side of heaven. There'll be no unclear outcome like when you vote. Wait in line for half an hour, tick a box by faith, hoping that it'll have an effect pretty soon, and then you wake up the next morning and there's still not an outcome. It won't be like that. It's a guaranteed act outcome. It's not a ticking of the box. It's a giving of your life to that message with the guarantee one day there'll be a sure outcome. You will be raised up with Jesus forever. And if it's true, it's, it's worthwhile doing what Paul calls us to in verse 58, to be steadfast. It's something that can hold you fast, so if you stand on it, it'll hold you fast. It means you can be immovable. I'm going to have to, be, have to say that after I saw my specialist this week, I was bent 
by the reality of what happened, as if somehow that was going to change my eternal direction of my life, even though it was actually going to improve it a bit. I was bent by that, slightly frustrated, maybe even annoyed, maybe even angry of what I'd missed out on the last few years. But who doesn't want to throw off the realities and the effects of sin in this world? Whether that be a sickness within your body. I mean, we all, we all can look pretty okay on the outside. And people often say to me, look, you, you know, you look pretty fit. My first response is, well, you don't judge a book by its cover. Because I know that within me there's a disease eating me away. And for all of us, that's true. And we get to throw that off. So whether it's a decaying body, a decaying mind, and the low mood that comes and anxiety and depression, uh, whether that's the longing because of the devastation of death that interrupts your life and separates you from a long one, loved one, don't, don't we want to throw off that? Uh, we don't want to live forever as we are now, but we won't have to in Jesus. One of the privileges you have as a pastor is not only being part of people's lives as they celebrate new life, but actually as they're entering the next life, the, the privilege of sitting along you know, old, dying saints, that is Christians who have put their trust in Jesus all their life and still hanging on to him right to the last breath, to sit with them, hold their hand, as they lay with nothing else to give. In fact, not able to, even able to receive sometimes. To hold their hands, and there's two types of people, people who are scrambling for life, but have absolutely no ability to do it. But those who are at rest and at peace in Jesus, there's something nearly tangible about that when they are at peace with Jesus on their deathbed, and they know it. But they have such rest assurance. Not even because of the life they live necessarily, but because of the fact of the resurrection. Of course, what comes with uh, being with people on their deathbed is that they die. And so, of course, you, as a pastor, you get to be part of the, the next part of the process, which is, of course, the funeral. And it's a confronting um, reality, being a pastor at a funeral, people grieving in front of you, you trying to hold it together, when often you're grieving the separation, even though you have the hope. But one of the most confronting things personally is often the coffins there staring at you and it's as if death is eyeballing you shouting very clearly because the stats are very clear one in one die one day you'll be in the box one day you'll be in the box yes we all want to avoid eye contact with death. Yes, we are here this morning and part of what we've done is celebrated new life. 
we are sitting here and every breath we've taken in the short time we've been together has been a gift from God. But he's only given us a handful of breaths. And one day we will face death. But the great news is the gospel. With the resurrection as essential to that. Guarantees that through the resurrection of Jesus, we have the promise and so hope of being raised up and living with him forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the good news. The good news that says Christ died for our sins. The good news that's been guaranteed by the resurrection. That means we're both forgiven and can stand before you perfect as your children and means that we can live with you forever because we'll be raised up. Thank you, Father. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Amen.